What up, people? Monday. It's beautiful here on the East Coast. Got to tell you something. Humidity's out of the air. Spring is in the air, although summer is right around the corner. Guy here, always joined by Dan Nathan. Monday, May 23rd, market call, top of the hour, 30 minutes on the clock. You know who's joining us on Monday. You've been conditioned. It's like that Pavlovian thing. CBWs will be joining us in just a few minutes. Today's episode brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And we are powered by a number of things, but most importantly, Open Exchange. Check them out on Twitter at Open Exchange TV. What's going on over the last few days in this market, Dan? Ups and downs, getting a bounce today. We're going to talk about that. How are you? I'm doing well, Guy Dami. We missed you on Friday. Carter did yeoman's work, as did our friend Liz Young from SoFi. We had a really nice market call there. And you know what? We got to give a shout out. You were down at Georgetown University, your daughter, Lily, who's actually also helped power market call in many of the things that we do at Risk for Social Media, graduated. She is a special kid, and I'm very very happy for you and proud of her, buddy. That's very much appreciated. It was a great weekend. It was her birthday yesterday. Lots wow. going on. Obviously, the Rangers went at home yesterday. Yep. You were there. They've yep. made this a series. I mean, there's so much to talk about that is ancillary. But yeah. we want to talk about the markets because I think, by and large, that's why people tune in. Although, Dan, apparently a lot of folks tune in for market call. Bingo. <laughs> Get your cards ready. Go, Dan. All right, buddy. Well, listen, you know, it was really interesting on Thursday. You know, the market did not close particularly well, and it closed very near 3,900 in the S&P 500 cash. Then on Friday, it really looked like we were headed, you know, below 3,800 guy towards your 3,750 call. You've been Nostradami on that, bud. But late day, last hour, you weren't watching. You were too busy regaling or whatever it is that people do on weekends like that. The market ripped 70 handles. The S&P closed. You ready for where it closed? 3,900, which was pretty amazing. Now, a lot of people were explaining away market on close and bounce as it relates to options expiration. But here we are. That's a pretty big follow through. I think the low yesterday was and you know just above 3800 here we are at 3966 without watching so closely tick by tick on thursday and friday guy what do you make of that sort of reversal yeah well we're going to talk about i know a lot of people are asking questions but to me and i'm not suggesting i'm right i think carter would probably agree you know we reached levels we got down to support levels this is a classic oversold bounce in and i'll use the term in a bear market those rallies tend to be the most violent obviously I think you saw that in spades on Friday. You're seeing it to a certain extent today. Although, you know, earlier in the day, the VIX was up on the day, elevated north to 30. It's come off a bit. It's going to be fascinating to me to see how the day closed. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we gave a large portion of this rally back. We'll see. But if you're asking the question, which you were, I think it's just a classic, vicious bear market bounce. And I think the best thing for the market, in my opinion, last week would have been flush on Thursday Again, on Friday, have just a disastrous close. And that would have set us up, I think, for a more sustainable rally. But the fact that it rallied like it did on Friday and rallying today suggests we're just seeing what we've seen a number of times over the last few months. Yeah. So when I look at the sectors here, you know, banks are leading here. XLF, Mm -hmm. you know, up nearly 4%. JP Morgan's up more than 7%. We're going to talk about that. But then 
XLE up one, two percent. Staples, which had gotten hit really hard over the last week and a half. I think Carter might have had a negative call about a week and a half ago on the staples here. And then we have mega cap tech. It's rallying. I will mention that Microsoft up nearly three percent. Apple up more than three percent and Google up two percent. Amazon noticeably down two percent. Consumer discretionary retail still kind of weak here. But let me just say without some of those defensive sectors like energy materials and now banks rallying, not that impressive a day. So I'm with you. Let's keep an eye on into the close. But guy, about a week ago on market call, hmm. you kind of caught my attention because it sounded like you're getting a little more constructive on the bank stocks. We had been talking about how JP Morgan had let the S&P 500 to the downside, never confirmed the new high in the S&P in early January, had a huge gap on their Q4 earnings call when they kind of guided to greater than expenses or greater than expected expenses. Stocks ripping here. Let's pull this up. They have their investor day today. They're talking about higher net interest margins and maybe maybe they moderate on the on the cost a little bit. What's your take here on JP Morgan? thought it was great for a trade. We actually did a segment on Fast Money called So Bad They're Good. We're actually going to do something similar here in a few minutes on Market Call, but I think exactly that. You know, it got down to levels in terms of price to tangible book that I thought were interesting around 1.7 times. We hadn't seen that level in a while, and I thought it had done enough work on the downside to be worthy of one of these short covering rallies or bounces, whatever you want to deem it to be. That's where in the midst of, and this downtrend line that you drew exquisitely, we're now broken it to the upside. What does it mean? Well, I suggest we still have another probably, I don't know, we could probably rally another 10 to 12% to the upside in this. It's probably still headed lower at a yeah. certain point, but you know we're in this thing for trades and you're trying to identify trading opportunities. I think we found one. I will tell you, and I think Carter would agree that sloping moving average to the downside is not particularly bullish, but it doesn't mean you can't see, again, two, three, four-day rallies in the midst of all of this. Yeah, I'll just say this, if we could leave this chart up really quickly. You know, we've been really focused on these kind of lows that we've had each month on the big sell-offs in January and February and March, and then really wasn't much of a bounce in April. But if you look at, you know, where the technical resistance probably comes in, 50-day moving average right around that 129, that's very near the March low. And then that 140 breakdown level guy, you know, that looks like maybe that's how you get your 10, 12% or Ooh. so if we get through there. So definitely interesting to keep a note on. Led the S&P to the downside, might it help lead it to the upside. All right. I want to talk about financials. You know, oftentimes when you hear pundits talk about financials, they're just talking about banks. And we know there's a lot of non-bank financials. And you and I, we came up with this with Amanda. She's obviously brilliant here. We were calling it the good, the bad, and the ugly. And not exactly the chart setups, but maybe the trade setups here. Let's start with the good CME, which is a fine sponsor of Market Call. We know that company very well, one of the largest, or it is the largest futures exchange on the planet. I was left scratching my head, guy, from those highs above 250, you know, back there in March to its recent lows. I mean, look at that precipitous drop. That didn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense to me, but a match low from October and you see the support level that I drew. And then my target for that thing, man, that'd be that 200 day moving average up there above 220. Give me your take on CME. So I'm just looking down because I'm about to read something. They reported their April average dairy volume, 20.8 million shares contracts, they call them. That was up 26% year over year. That's significant because I will tell you, they saw a pretty interesting move last year as well in terms of average sales volume. So that trend continues to be strong. They got an upgrade. They being CME at a place called Argus, price target 230 level that we've seen obviously just a few weeks ago. 
I agree with that. I think you can make a very compelling case for the stock now on valuation. And the lines you drew are exactly right. I mean, that's your past support. Again, we're right down to it. We should bounce from here. We bounced from it last time we got to these levels. I think it's worthy of a trade. It's interesting, though, that you mentioned CME Group in the good, because if you recall, Clint Eastwood, the C and C and E and E, played the good in the movie, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. So I like what you did there, even though you didn't think I was going to catch it. Well, you know that Clint Eastwood's middle name is Marshall. So we just kind of surrounded that trade there. All right, let's go to the bad here, Gaidami. Blackstone, again, you know, this has been in this downtrend, a series of lower highs, a series of lower lows. Obviously, I think Carter would say this is maybe a pair of twos. Maybe he'll uh, weigh in on that in a second here. This just seems like it's got lower lows to me, maybe past towards 90 or the lower end of that downtrend um, towards, I don't know, 84, 85 or something like that. Thoughts on Blackstone? I know that you were very bullish on this name for the better part of 2020 and 2021. Less constructive, though, as this thing has basically topped out over the last oh, you know three to six months. Yeah, I should have paid more attention. Well, I always pay attention. I should have paid more attention to you when you started talking about this thing. And you were going to try to sort of figure out why it's come off like it has. I mean, obviously, Blackstone has become one of the largest holders of real estate in the country, for better or for worse. We actually had a gentleman on Fast Money a week or so ago. I believe his name is Joe Zidal. We call him Jay-Z, talking about real estate and how he thinks it's going to hold in there. You pushed back correctly. And I think a lot of this move is probably predicated on this concern that maybe real estate's not going to perform as well as it has in the past. So I think that's one of the reasons. I think valuation, though, is pretty compelling here for Blackstone. And obviously being the bad, if you recall, Lee Van Cleef was the bad and the good, the bad and the ugly. And although a bad guy, you know, he was not one to be trifled with until the end of the movie. And I agree. I think that's what's going on with Blackstone. It's no man's land here. I think Carter would call it, to your point, a pair of twos. That's probably right. But I'm more inclined to try to find a level to buy this and to sell it at this point. Yeah, and I think that level is probably down there towards 90 if we were to have one leg lower or so. But let's see. All right, lastly, guy, the ugly here. And this mm. is Block, the former square. And what's interesting, why this one caught my eye a little bit, it is below, it round-tripped, okay, back to that pre-pandemic high. But what's interesting to me is that often compared to its peer PayPal, okay, PayPal has actually already round-tripped not only its pandemic, pre-pandemic high guy, but its pandemic low from March of 2020. And this thing, you know, trading north of 80, it's got another 50% drop if it were to do the same thing that PayPal just did. So I'm curious your take here because, you know, listen, this stock, you see that massive double top up there near 300 bucks, and here it is at $83, and you say to yourself, how much more can be left? Well, stocks that drop 50, 60, 70%, can still get cut in half again. It's interesting since Jack focused a lot of his attention here. I mean, it's it's not coincidental, I guess, that the stock hasn't really performed. I think one of the biggest concerns, forget about valuation, which has always been a concern, but innovation, I think, is the biggest concern. They, they really haven't come out with anything new and innovative, and the world sort of caught up to them, unfortunately. And I think you point out this round trip. Well, we've seen a number, dozens of stocks do that round trip from the March of 2020 lows to all-time highs some, for some of these stocks, ridiculous level. And now we're round-tripping it, getting back to those levels. It feels as though that's exactly what's going to happen. And, you know, I know you know this, Eli Wallach 
was the bad or the ugly, excuse me, in the good, the bad, the ugly. I'm not sure if he's a square shareholder, but at a certain point, you're going to have to start putting his picture up next to this stock because that's exactly what's going on. All right. So real quickly, favorite Eli Wallach movie, not the good and the bad and the ugly, but what guy? Well, it's certainly not Godfather 3. I think that's what you're going to throw at me. But Please tell me you clearly have your own favorite. No, nah, it is good, the bad, and the ugly. He was a great character. He was a little yeah. comic relief in that movie. If you could sit through it for more than three hours. I love that movie. All right, let's do it. It's time, guy. Let's do it. I got to bring in. Listen, he's not bad. He's certainly not ugly. He's not good. <laughs> he's great. That's Carter Braxton Worth. Yeah, CB go. Dubs, hope you're doing well on this Monday. You've heard us wax poetic for the last yeah. 13 minutes. Thoughts on some of the things that we talked about. <laughs> well, I'm just picturing his face. You know, he was sort of that oddball character who was definitely out for himself but he was kind of whimsical and fun at the same time in that very long movie in any event uh, one of his lines well, in that movie by the way was don't die blondie and apparently you're yeah. the only toehead in the group so please obviously don't do that but instead yeah, you know that? i want you to come to life here i want you to talk about <laughs> what you've seen because there is a lot going on oh boy yeah there is a lot i mean we know that things it doesn't matter whether it's commodity currency or stock get stretched in one direction or the other. And then while it's hard to time the mean reversion, you ultimately do get it. So if you think at the sequencing we have right now, all around the same time, the dollar, which is and was stretched, is mean reverting. And yields, which were stretched, are mean reverting. And gold, which was stretched to the downside, going up. And now equities, I think it's their turn, do a bit of mean reverting after what has been a very weak period for the market. Well, let's talk about this, Carter, because on Thursday, when we were discussing that very thing about the S&P's ability to kind of put in a near-term bottom, we highlighted the fact on this really sharp decline since late March that the bounces have been really short-lived here, and they have not been particularly you know, violent to the upside, not the way that we saw in late March and then obviously in late February. So we had some really good bounces earlier in the year. The jury was still out on whether the bull market was over. I think that what it showed us since the highs in late March March, the inability to get you know more than a week going in the same direction is that investor sentiment has clearly turned right from glass half full to glass empty. Talk to us about the S and P here. Well, remember sentiment changes only after the fact. It's a classic: yeah. the horse is out of the bar. We know that the MSCI All Country World Index—that means German mm-hmm. stocks, French stocks, Polish stocks, Israeli stocks—all X the U.S. It peaked more than a year ago. We know that the Global Transportation Index. Not ours, the Dow Jones transaction, because Avis made it make an all-time high when it became a meme stock and it was 16% weight. But if you look at a global aggregate, classic Dow theory, it topped a year ago. We've been in, basically, we peaked a year ago, global equities, and it's only after it makes the headlines, literally. <laughs> wow, I've lost 40% in my Zillow or 100% in the market. My pundit says that we're in a bear market. Then, then the tension is given. That's usually when it's right to maybe play the other side. And so that was my thinking anyway over the weekend. Let's just play for a bounce. You always bring some beautiful charts with you. You did that, obviously. I love Mondays because I know the work you do over the weekend is extensive. Let's walk through some of the beautiful charts you brought, CBW, because the lines, as you say, draw themselves. They do. And if you use nice colors, it can all (laughs) kind of come together and paint a picture, tell a story. And look, what my eye sees is those three very distinct drawdowns. And it's not about the duration. Some are shorter, some are longer in terms of number of sessions of the three and the magnitudes. But in terms of sequencing, if you look at that, and now if you look at the second chart, we've had two distinct counter trend rallies. So my eye wants to see, and I think that's the point here, 
a next rally. And if we have a final chart, I've got an arrow that makes that point. And so if we just take away the arrow, put it back, take away, do we have to bounce? No, but the sequencing kind of calls for that. You're getting a lot of individual stocks down substantially. You've got the NASDAQ down 30%, the Russell down 30. You've got the world declaring bear market and no one knows the definition. And we're going to play the other side for a while. You know, it's a little crowd over here on this side of the room. Let's go to the other side. Yeah, I mean, Carter, do you think it's it's coincidental? I know you don't spend a lot of time looking at what you call the fundamentals here, but we're basically, you know, we're, we're almost done with S&P earnings for the last, let's say, three, you know, three-month period here. We had a couple big blow-ups last week, and I think it's interesting to note, you know, Walmart is, you know, up 3% today. Deer, which was down close to 14% on Friday after a very disappointing guide, is up, you know, 6 or 7% mm-hmm. or so. Do you think it's just a clearance of most of the major earnings now maybe gives it some room to run. We know that we don't have another Fed meeting for a few weeks, right. that sort of thing. That was, that was part of my thing. So sitting around the weekend, you, you face the blank canvas. Like, yeah. Am I right? I mean, what I mean, you guys produce and we all you know what well, you know, you have to not to say come up with something just for the sake of it. That's if you're writing a column every day in a newspaper. But if you do the work and come up with something that might be thoughtful or different, not just to be different, then there's value add. And those things were all in my mind. It's like, wait a minute, the only way the market goes down if individual stocks go down, we know this, right? And Walmart just had its worst days in 87. Target just had its worst days in 1987. You've got all the Pelotons and Zooms lying on the floor wrecked down 80, 90%. And we've also, just what you said, earnings are out of the way. You know, the sort of Fed hike today, hike tomorrow is out of the way. Now, to be fair, a lot of institutional clients this morning say, well, you know, they're going to start to start selling bonds here this week and, and that's going to kill the market. We'll see. But the point is, I think you play for a trade-up. Well, what you said was, you know, the room is getting, one side of the room is getting crowded. You're going to walk to this side. Follow me with this. The reason why the room is getting crowded on one side is because you're there. You're going to walk to the other side of that room. And at a certain point, people will find you again. I mentioned that because the next chart you brought with us shows exactly the time that those people are going to find you on the other side of the room. So you actually have levels that you think this bounce can get to, Carter Worth. That's right. So let's look at this and put it in context. So this is the same chart, but just extrapolating. Now that's the exact same chart that we looked at with the sequence. The sequence is removed, but it's the same arrow. Now that arrow is not drawn randomly, nor is that blue line. That's basically where overhead supply comes into play, which is to say where money was committed higher that now is underwater losses on paper. And if given the chance to be made whole, typically some or many people seize that chance. So on a recovery to that level, two types of memory emerge. People who bought poorly and now have been saved, their money has been returned. They're interested in selling, that's one kind of supply. And then there's the opposite. The people who bought dumb luck or brilliance on Friday at the low or today. At the, once you flip the cards over and show them another five, six, seven percent, their memory kicks in. They're like, wait a minute, I made a whole lot of money here, a couple of sessions, that was pretty good. So it's a big level. Now look at the next chart. Overhead supply goes all the way up and, and now the final chart, and this is the one that matters, the 150 moving average is downward, so we know that. The 150 moving average, which will start to really start to hook down as prices 150 days come off the back end of the moving average. You can kind of see where, if and as this bounce continues, it will start to run into trouble. So it's, it's 42, maybe a little more, but at some point it'll be right to fade and go to the other side of the room. And not to imply it's that easy, right? But you know, it's never the, that easy. Before Dan comes in, quickly, quick question. And, and I brought this up and I know you've opined, but we have new viewers, I'm sure. 
that moving average was lower left, upper right for quite some time. Obviously started to top out late December, January, started to flatten out. Now it's rolling over. How important is that in your work? Well, just as, so if you think about all the moving averages in an automated trend line, we're trying to measure trend by having to not draw lines all night long, but to try to automate the process. A moving average does that. And so when it's ascending, by definition, you're in a bull phase or you're advancing. And when it's declining, and if you look at a moving average in 08, 09, obviously it's straight down. And so the fact that it's rolling, topping, curling over, starting to inflect from bull to bear is an issue. And that's what is the definition of a bull or bear market. And we haven't been in an up phase, you can see by the moving average, basically since January. All right. Talk to us a little bit, CB Dubs. You like bringing the ratios here. Explain real quickly what the NASDAQ 100 and the S&P 500. Obviously, you, you think that the S&P is due for a little bit of a bounce, but this ratio chart is also telling you something. Right. So there's a, uh, it's a line, right? I would say that's the chart of Footlock. That's the chart <laughs> of Cocoa or Corn or that's a currency. That's the Brazilian real. What it is, it's simply any chart is a line, right? And this is a ratio. It's the NASDAQ 100 divided by the S&P 500. And one could say, why do I need to do that? That's what relative performance in alpha is all about. It's figuring out where something is in relation to its peer group, in relation to a sub-industry or to the market overall. So we're simply, forget about the math of it, although it is simple, it's just dividing. If that line is rising, that implies the NASDAQ is outperforming the S&P. And if the line is declining, it's underperforming. So what we know, of course, is over time, the NASDAQ has been outperforming. This is, goes back to 05. But then of late, and we know why, it's been underperforming. The question is, this period of underperformance, has it reached a critical level? Look at the next chart. And it has. Voila. It's gone down, oh my goodness, to the penny. And then the final <laughs> chart, we got some arrows in there. And it's my hunch. Hmm. Does it have to bounce off there? No. Who cares what Carter Worth thinks anyway? But hey. It's worked a couple times in the past. Let's make a bet. And there's nothing wrong with being wrong. If it's wrong, get out, but make the bet. First of yeah. all, I will say this, Dan, before you jump. A yeah. lot of people, including yeah. myself and Dan Nathan, Amanda Diaz, Brendan, Stewart, all buddy, everybody watching cares what you have to say. So just please remember that, Dan. <laughs> Not the over false to you. humility. Yeah, yeah fair enough. All right, talk to me a little bit about the price action today in the NASDAQ because. We're still seeing, you know, a lot of internet stuff not being able to move, a lot of high valuation names that are down 50, 60%. They're not trading particularly well. But what is trading well today, Carter, is Microsoft up nearly 3%, Apple up 3%, Google up nearly 2%. But interestingly, Amazon, consumer discretionary, is acting really poorly. It's down more than 2%. So to me, are we seeing this tech bounce just today? You know, like for instance, if we were to go below that line, that ratio line, it's gonna be led by the big cap, right? The large cap names. You cut that loss pretty quickly in the NDX if you're playing for a bounce? I mean, I think that's the discipline, right? So again, you commit cap on any particular juncture based on a premise, a thesis, whether it's fundamental, technical, quantitative. And the hardest thing to do is then figure out what to do when you're right. Or when you're wrong, right? How many times have we all bought something at 20? It goes to 24. You take it off, and then it goes to 40. Like, what were you thinking? You were there, present at creation. You bought at 20, sold 24, went to 40. That's a really a disaster. At the same time, it's equally hard to figure out what to do with losers. You buy it at 20, it's 18. We cut it. Cut it at 16. Usually, it's right, as we all know. Water your flowers, cut your weeds, cut your losses. These are the oldest tricks in the book. But my point is, yes, play the line. If it doesn't, if it's if it's a bad judgment, it's a bad trade, control it, control loss. 
But I think I'm the with important you on that, thing by is what you said. Oh. Look who's leading today. It's the big ones because yeah. they're the quality ones, and they're the ones that are down to the point where I think you get the bounce. I was going to say I'm with you on that. My only caveat would be I like to pull my weeds because if you cut them, they typically come back often and sometimes more robust, which I don't know if that's a metaphor. Or not. I just thought I'd bring them out or Roundup. But we'll talk about Monsanto at a different time. Carter Worth, joy having you. It's always great having <laughs> Carter Worth. Check him out, worthcharting.com. If you're not following Carter on Twitter, you're doing it wrong. He joins us today. Hopefully, he'll join us again on Wednesday. We can't get enough of CBW, nor can you. Thanks, Carter. All right, man. Bye. All right, got- a lot going on. We got earnings. Come on. Come at me, brother. Well, it's interesting. You know, we just talked to Carter about what his view is on the S&P, and I asked him, you know, is it because most of the earnings are done? There's a couple of earnings this week that I think that you'll find kind of interesting just mm-hmm. from a sentiment standpoint. One of them would be Zoom, right? We know that Zoom was a poster child for the pandemic. It's been cut in half this year, but it's down, you know, more than 75% from its all-time highs in, in late 2020 here. And this is one where when it was trading at like 50 times sales, I think a lot of investors investors didn't care. They thought we were in a new world order about how we were going to meet. They were taking market share from the airlines. You remember all the arguments here. Well, here we are. They're going to report tonight. I don't know about you. We're doing this meeting on Zoom, guy. We, I still do a lot of Zooms. I do less than I did a year ago. And, and they probably had a lot of churn. Their margins would probably come in a great deal. But just curious your take, because the implied move in the options market is massive. It's about $19, about 21% in either direction. You look at that chart here. You see yourself it's obviously a lot of bad news in it short interest has come down give me your thoughts here listen these are tough names to trade if you get it right let's say you buy this thing right here and it goes up 20 bucks you feel like a genius right because it might overshoot because no. it's going to go up 20 it might go up 30 here but if you get it wrong being bullish and it goes down 20 and the writing was on the wall you feel like a dummy i almost think you wait and you see what they say and what they guide to and what investors have to like how they're moving their feet Well, let's first of all, be clear. Obviously, we've had that moving average rollover. So it's obviously headed lower, number one. So we understand that the trajectory is upper left, lower right. But I'll say this, and I think you would probably agree. You mentioned that it's Zenith where it was trading price to revenue. Let's talk about it now. You're talking about what, Dan? I want to say a $28 billion company-ish that's going to do about $5 billion or so in revenue. I think that valuation is reasonable. You have about 13% EPS growth. That's reasonable. Uh, you have about maybe, I don't know, maybe 10% revenue growth, reasonable, trading at 22 times next year's numbers, reasonable. I mean, all yeah. reasonable, reasonable enough where if they come in, you know, anything semblance of inline to slightly higher. And I do think you're going to get that 21% implied move to the upside. So if you know, I would think, to be honest with you, in the earnings, I believe this afternoon, if I'm not mistaken, after the yeah. bell. I think you can buy this for a trade. And if I'm wrong, Dan, you know, I'll be the first person to come on tomorrow and say I was wrong. But I think the risk reward sets up really well for you here in Zoom. Yeah. And I guess the other way to think about it is like, listen, you know, when we give implied moves, you know, the at the money call, let's say the stock's around 88, that call, the 88 call that expires this Friday guy is offered at $10. Okay. So if you bought that, you're risking $10, you're risking, you know, you can do the math there, you know, about 10% or so, or a little more than that of the stock price here. Um, but if that stock is, you know, let's say that stock is 83 tomorrow morning. Okay. Those calls are gone. I mean, like 
literally you're selling them for for nothing here. So that's the that's the sort of risk. And obviously the other way the puts are about the same. So you know that's the sort of like treacherous trading situation you're dealing with. It almost makes more sense than buying the stock unless you were willing to buy it lower. But to your also point, guy, if this stock went down ten or twenty percent, you do the math on that. Okay, that's a twenty billion dollar market cap company. And let's say the forward earnings aren't impacted that meaningful. It's just people don't like the margins or this and that, or whatever. At some point, it will become a takeout candidate in the not so distant future. Fair, I think that's fair no, without question. Listen, and I'm not—I will never be one to advocate for this, but I know there are people out there that like to sell puts in heightened volatility environments, and yeah. you know, maybe this is one that sort of sets up that way. Again, that's a hundred-dollar table. I'm not advocating it. I'm just saying, pointing it out because there are people that take advantage of it. There's another one you want to take a look at before we five thousand, Dan. Yeah, retail was such a big focus last week, guy. We spent a lot of time talking about what Target and Walmart had to say here. Best Buy reports tomorrow morning. What I think is really interesting about that is that the Target CEO, Brian Cornell, said one of the biggest consumer shifts that they saw in the quarter was that consumers that had been buying lots of like flat screen TVs and high-end consumer electronics throughout the pandemic had shifted gears a little bit. Food inflation was obviously taking a little bit of bite of that, but they did say that they saw them moving into things like not buying the TVs anymore, but buying like luggage to travel. I'm a little skeptical of that. I thought that was a little suspect, but Best Buy is going to have the answer for that. Now, you tell me, guy, this stock has absolutely been bludgeoned. Last year, it was trading like it was the next coming of Amazon or something like that. And now this trades at like eight times earnings. It just trades really cheap. Does it trade really cheap for a good reason? It's been cut in half or more so. I'm just curious your thoughts here. Fool me once with Walmart. I thought the setup was great in earnings. That was a disaster. Fool me twice. Target, obviously, you know, I think the only people happy about the Target quarter was uh, Doug McMillan from Walmart. And I said that on the show the night before. I'll say it here because at That's least good. everybody's in the same foxhole. So you're not going to fool me three times. And this stock could go up 25% tomorrow. And, you know, we'll say, well, we missed it. But I'm saying stay away. Let this thing flush out again because some of these things, you know, they all looked great into it. They all performed lousy on the back end. Now, you could say that Best Buy has been sort of taking it on the chin on the back of those earnings. I get it, but I'm staying away, Dan Nathan. I'm too frady cat, as they say. Yeah, I just think at this stage of the market, it doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense to try to be a hero in front in front of some of these sorts of events here. Because listen, you know, you, you know, then you end up throwing good money after bad. If you have a, a company that you're predisposed to like, you like their products, you like their management, they're working through a difficult time here. If the stock were to gap much lower after the fact, you know, you're going to have a better opportunity to buy it. Maybe the fundamentals are differently. On the flip side of that, you're also in a market where if you have good results and guidance, and investors are skeptical, they may sell into it and you might not get that sort of move that you're hoping to anyway you know what i mean so i think sitting on your hands waiting for stocks to come to you not taking a lot of event risk right now makes a lot of sense we don't need another hero dan we had one yesterday at madison square garden his name was igor shesterkin that goal by Kreider, by the way there are about four people on the planet that can do what he did i mean that was just sick mika obviously playing well all through the playoffs nobody cares i know you don't care dan (laughs) Uh, I do. The Yankees got swept at home yesterday. Haven't seen that. Well, first time you've seen a little problems in the Bronx. We'll talk about that on a future market call. But that's it for today's market call. Guy Adami, Dan Nathan. I love Carter Worth. I want to thank him for joining. I want to thank you folks for joining. I want to thank our sponsors for sponsoring FactSet. 
financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And of course, we are powered by Open Exchange. Find them on Twitter at Open Exchange TV. We will be back tomorrow, 1 p.m. East Coast. Later, people. Later.